Well, take and turn with me today to Matthew chapter 13. Excuse me. Matthew 13, as we continue along in the parables here, a few more weeks here in the parables. Last week, we looked at the parable of the lost sheep, and that was from Luke chapter 15. We saw how the Lord came looking for us before we knew him when we were lost in our sin. An unsaved God, like a shepherd, came looking for us. We didn't go looking for him. He came and he found us. Thank God for that. And uh, he brought us home, as it says. The shepherd, when he finds that lost sheep, puts the sheep on his shoulders and brings that sheep home. And the Lord brought us home. He brought us back uh, to him, to where we need to be. So that's what we looked at last week. Excuse me. We do have a PowerPoint for you today. There it is. How exciting. Today we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower and the seed, or sometimes called the parable of the four soils, and that is found in Matthew chapter 13. And what we're going to see in this parable today is that these four different types of ground represent everybody's heart. So you're represented here today. You are in this passage today, those of you listening Everybody's receptivity to the gospel is pictured here. We have four different types of soils and four different types of hearts and how the heart responds to the gospel message. That's what the seed is. It's the gospel. It's the word of God. And the farmer is the Lord sowing the seed. And the soils describe where different people are at and what's going on inside of them, what's going on in their hearts. God is concerned with what's going on in your heart, right? Not just with the outward, the external. He's concerned with what's going on in the inner man, and he knows what's going on in the heart. I don't know what's going on in your heart, but God does. He knows what's going on in everybody's heart. And so we're going to see here in this parable today that our heart is going to be one of these four soils of ground. And... We want it to be, as we will see, that ground that is receptive to the Word of God, that ground that brings forth not just 30, not just 60, but 100-fold. So let's take a look here at Matthew chapter 13. The good thing about this parable of the sower is that Jesus tells us what it's about. He gives the explanation to his disciples, so we're not left wondering. So look in verse 1. excuse me, of chapter 13 of Matthew. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, the Sea of Galilee. Such large, large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky, uh, rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears... Let him hear. Then you jump down to verse 18, and here's the explanation. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, 
The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Finally, verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be that rich soil that received the word and brought forth a great harvest, Lord, a hundredfold uh, what was sown. Lord, we just thank you for the word of God, and we pray that it would move and work in the soil of our hearts today, Lord, making us into the people that you have called us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> well, we've got the first heart that is pictured here today. Uh, in this parable, and that is what I would call the hardened heart. Verses 1 through 4, you see what Jesus is saying here. Uh, he goes out, and he, he's uh, by the Sea of Galilee, and there are large crowds gathered around him. There's always large crowds, it seemed like, gathered around the Lord Jesus. And he gets into a boat so everybody could see him, and he sat in it. Actually, it was the opposite in Israel as it is today. The one who was teaching the word would sit down and everybody else would stand up. I think we should do that here at Central. What do you think? I'll sit down on Sunday morning and you can all stand up. Uh, but that's, that's how they would do it. Uh, I don't think you're too receptive to that, are you? Uh, so he sat in it and all the people stood on the shore. So everybody could see him as he goes out there uh, a little bit on the Sea of Galilee. And then he begins telling them this parable here. Remember, parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. So they use common everyday things to picture spiritual realities. And so that's what we see here uh, and, and what Jesus is explaining. So a farmer goes out and he's going to sow seed in his field. And as he is heading out, some of it accidentally falls along the path. And the birds, verse 4, they come and they eat it up. Now, there, uh, in Israel, there were pathways that bordered all of the fields. So the farmers, as they would go out, when it was time to, uh, to sow their seed, they would go out and they would walk along the pathway as they made their way out into the fields. The pathways were very hard. Uh, the, the ground was hardened by two things. First of all, it was hardened by the sun, the hot uh, sun of Israel that would beat upon it, would harden it and dry it out. But also these pathways were hardened by people walking along them. And so this seed here falls down and it, it hits this hard pathway and it has nowhere to go. This isn't rich soil. This is not soil that is ready to receive the word. The seed falls on it and it just sits there and does nothing until the birds notice it and the birds swoop in and eat it. 
This pictures the hardened heart. Notice verses 18 and 19 one more time. He'll give the explanation. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. He doesn't understand it because he has hardened his heart to it. This is the individual that has a heart that is hardened toward the things of God. This is the individual who comes to church only because somebody has forced them to come to church. And they sit there the whole time like this with this look, this scowl on their face. That's not describing anyone in here. I don't see anyone like that. But occasionally you'll see someone like this and their face will grow increasingly red as the sermon goes along. Because they're getting angrier and angrier the more the truth of God's word is being preached. Because they have hardened their hearts to it. They don't want the truth. It's not that they can't understand the truth. It's not that there's not enough evidence that this is the truth. It's that they will not bow their knee before the Lord Jesus. They have hardened their will. They have hardened their heart unto God. Now, the Bible has some things to say about the hard heart. Let's take a look at that here. Uh, Some cross-references that we have here concerning the hard heart. First of all, Pride will harden a heart. Daniel 5 verse 20 describes King Nebuchadnezzar. And here's what it says about him. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. This guy was totally lifted up with pride. He looked out at his kingdom and he thought his kingdom was all because of what he had done. This is my great kingdom, and it's for my glory and honor, he said. His pride was blinding him, and his pride was hardening his heart to the things of God. And some people have a hard heart toward God because their heart is full of pride, and they don't have room for the things of God in their lives. And so we see right here with King Nebuchadnezzar, that's where he was at, this hardened heart. And uh, the Lord had to humble him. He had to humble that man and bring him ultimately to a place where he put his faith in God, I believe, because of what he went through. So God can, God can soften that hardened heart. But we see that pride will harden a heart. What else? Unbelievers are said to have hardened hearts. It says in Ephesians 4.18, that they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So they harden their hearts to the truth. They harden their hearts to the things of God. And that leads to their ignorance. They are willfully ignorant because they have hardened themselves unto the truth. It's not that they can't understand the truth. It's not that it's, it's too complex for them. It's simply that they don't want it. They've hardened themselves against it, and now it has led to a darkened understanding. It ultimately is a choice, and the result of the choice they have made to harden themselves unto the Lord. So unbelievers are mentioned here in Ephesians 4. What else about the hardness of the heart? Well, the Lord can harden a heart. It says that in Exodus chapter 10, verse 20. 
But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. Now, I had to put in parentheses there, let it be known that Pharaoh hardened his own heart ten times, it mentions in that passage there in Exodus. So Pharaoh hardens his heart, hardens his, and it mentions it, I don't know, maybe four or five times that he hardens his own heart to God. And finally, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know, if you harden your heart to the Lord enough, he might just give you what you want. If you push enough and want your way enough, he might just give you your way. And then when you get it, you'll realize you don't want it. He hardened Pharaoh's heart, but that was after Pharaoh had hardened his heart multiple times. So it's like the Lord is saying to Pharaoh, you want a hard heart? I'll give you a hard heart. Here you go. And he hardens it further. But ultimately, this was all playing out for God's glory and honor because he was going to display his glory and honor in the plagues that came upon Egypt and in the deliverance of the Israelites from 400 years of bondage. But God can harden a heart. Also, believers' hearts can be hardened, we see in Mark 6.52, as well as Matthew 8.17. So we're not above this. We're not above having hard hearts. Even though we're Christians, even though we have the Spirit of God within us, even though we know the Lord is our Savior, we can still develop a hard heart toward other people. And this is what we need to watch for. That's why we need to always do a heart check on ourselves, right? And that's why it says in Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another. And what's the opposite of a hard heart? A tender heart, right? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So how do I, how do I reverse this hardness of heart that I have toward this person? Well, you need to soften it toward them. And you need to remember, and here's how you do that, you, you remember all that God has forgiven you of. Has he forgiven you of a few things? Or am I the only one? Yeah, you, you're in the same boat, aren't you? Actually, he's forgiven you of a, here's the word that the Bible uses, a multitude of sins. I don't know how much a multitude is, but it sounds like a lot. He's forgiven every one of us. For a multitude of sins. So what right do we ever have not to forgive somebody else? We don't. We need to remember how much God has forgiven us of. And therefore, that is our motivation for forgiving others. How much we have been forgiven by God in Christ. And so you want to keep your heart tender. Um, you know, you need a rough exterior, but you need a tender heart. Um, and so we want to keep our hearts tender toward others. We want to forgive others. We want to remember how much God has forgiven us. We don't want our hearts to be hardened to any man. Keep your heart tender, Christian. And then finally, I would say pray for the hearts of unbelievers to be softened. God is in the heart softening business. He can do that. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Here's what the Lord said. Now, he's talking about Israel in this passage, but it every bit as much applies to anyone today. He says concerning Israel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. That's a hard heart. 
I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a tender heart. And when you think about Israel, the state that Israel is in right now, spiritually speaking, is a state of hardening. They, corporately speaking, have hardened their hearts toward God. There are some Jews that um, are saved. We refer to them as messianic believers. But most of Israel is not saved right now. However, that's going to change in the future. God's plan and program for Israel has not ceased. He has not cast them aside. He has not used the church to replace Israel. Israel is distinct. And God has a distinct program for Israel in the future. And that program that he has for Israel, and this is why we should be absolute supporters of Israel 100%. That's what the scriptures call us to be. Stand in their corner 100%. His future program for Israel. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11, by the way. If you're confused about this, Romans 9, 10, and 11. His future plan for Israel is salvation. It is coming. It is going to happen. He says it right here that it's going to happen. He is going to save the Jewish people. Unfortunately, it's going to be through the time of Jacob's trouble, another period of time, um, of great difficulty here, a period of time that we refer to as the tribulation period. He's going to save them, but unfortunately, it has to be through the fires of difficulty, persecution, and trial. But the Lord will save them. And the Lord has the ability to replace that heart of stone. You know, it doesn't matter how hard somebody's heart is, God can reach them. God can save them. And God wants to use you as a part of that. How does he want to use you as a part of that? First of all, he wants you to pray for that unbeliever you know, that friend, that family member, that coworker who has a hard heart toward God. Pray for them. Commit yourself to praying for their salvation. Pray frequently. Pray daily. Pray often for that individual. The Lord can touch the heart. Nobody's too far gone. If they're sucking in air, they're not too far gone. God can reach them. Pray for them, and as you have opportunity to do, sow seeds in their lives. Share the truth with them. Share the gospel with them. Invite them to church. Even if they're not receptive, still reach out with the seed. We're to be seed sowers. We don't know the condition of the heart. God does. We don't need to judge that. We just need to sow the seed and we need to pray that God will soften the hearts of people so that they will be receptive to receiving that seed. So number one here, we see the hardened heart. And what happens, unfortunately, is because this individual hardens their heart, the devil comes in. He's the bird. He comes in and he can steal that word. That's why we need to pray that the devil won't, that the heart will be softened. Number two, we see the rootless heart, not the ruthless heart, the rootless heart, verses five and six. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Now jump down to 20 and 21. You'll get the explanation of what this heart is like. It's a little bit different from the hardened heart. Verse 20, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. 
when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. So here's somebody, they're a little bit different. They're hearing the word, they're hearing the message, and they're not pushing against it. They don't have a hard heart. Actually, they receive it, and at first they, they, they say to themselves, this is great. This is what I need. This is what I want. And it might even seem like they have made a decision. They've trusted in Christ. There's excitement there. Uh, they seem to have received the word well. However, in their hearts, there's some rocky soil. It's down in there. See, they would go through and they would till the land in Israel, right? They, 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 would, they would go through first before they sowed the seed. And they would try to get all of the, the rocks out that they could. But no matter how hard they tried, there were still some rocks sometimes deep down underneath that soil there. You, they, they couldn't see it. Uh, the ground looked like it was good. This is good, rich soil. They plant their seed. Unknowingly, there's some rocks deep down. And so that seed gets into the ground, but it, it can't really let, um, it, it can't get deep and it can't um, unfold its root system into the, into the ground because as it tries to do that, it hits the rock that's in there. So there's a very shallow root system. So it'll spring up, the crop will spring up, but it won't last because the roots aren't getting all the nutrients that they need. And so the sun comes out and the sun begins baking against that and it just withers right up. And you see, of course, what Jesus is saying there. They, they receive the word, these people, joyfully, they hear it, they're, they're excited. But what happens, verse 21, trouble and persecution come and they fall away. Difficulty, trials, challenges. Uh, someone makes fun of them because of their new faith in Jesus. And you know what? They hightail it out of there. And what they're demonstrating is that they really never fully received that word. John talked about this same thing in 1 John 2.19. Here's what he said. They went out from us. But they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. These are the individuals who it seems like they're saved, but ultimately they're not. And, and, and the fact that they're not is demonstrated by the fact that they fall away. Right? They're like that seed that just can't get its root system down. They end up falling away. A perfect example of this in my mind is a guy by the name of Judas Iscariot. You've heard of Judas. Judas looked the part. Everybody thought Judas was a believer. In fact, they put him in charge of the money bag. We'll put Judas in charge of the money. They didn't realize till later on that Judas was actually taking some of the money for himself. Nobody knew that Judas was the betrayer up until the very night Christ was betrayed. He tells them he's going to be betrayed, and they're all looking around saying, is it me? It wasn't like they all said, oh, it's Judas, we know, yeah. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He had everybody fooled. Sometimes people can do that, right? They can fool everybody. But ultimately, their true colors will be made known. And one thing that grieves my heart is you have pastors in this country today, well-known pastors in well-known, very large churches. And you know what? They are not really rooted in God's word. And they're more concerned about the praises of men than the praises of God. Listen, if you're more concerned about the praises of men than the praises of God, you better st stop following Jesus right now. 
Because the time is coming and is here already where we're not going to receive the praises of men anymore. The Christian in this country will not receive the praises of men. In fact, we are beginning to receive the contempt of fellow men for standing for biblical truth. So you better have your mind set on one thing, that I'm living for the praises of one and one alone, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't matter what any, any other man says. I'm not living for man's praises. It's worthless anyway. I am living for the praises of the Lord, right? He's the only one that we want to hear say. And, and, and this is the only thing worth living for, to hear him say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the motive right there. And so we see these pastors falling away, these worship leaders falling away, and all that reveals is that they were never fully rooted in the word. And therefore, I want to encourage you to root yourself in the word. And that's what we're encouraged to do. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. We are encouraged. Listen, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Right? So you got the, the man who's being led astray. And notice there's a downward progression, right? First of all, that guy's doing what? He's walking. Then what is he doing? He's standing. And then what is he doing? He's sitting. He's going down spiritually. He's contrasted with the man who is rooted in the Word of God. And the man who's rooted in the Word of God is like a tree that has a, a strong root system that goes down into the soil. And it's pulling in the nutrients from the soil. And it's pulling in the water. And it is bearing forth fruit. Listen, you will bear forth fruit, Christian. You will. If you remain in Christ, you will see fruit in your life and in the lives of those around you. But you must remain. You must keep pulling in nutrients from the word of God. You will bear forth fruit. It says it right there. In season, in God's timing. And whatever you do, it will prosper. He will prosper what you do. And so we really need to root ourselves. And this is what we root ourselves in right here. We root ourselves in the word of God. Make sure your heart goes down deep into this book right here. Be in this book. Learn this book. Read this book. Know this book. Be all about the book. The book, the book, the book. This is how change comes. This is how transformation comes. By reading and taking in and then doing what the Word of God says. So we see that this second soil represents this heart of people that they really weren't rooted. They were the rootless heart. So we have the hardened heart. We have the rootless heart. Third, we have the distracted heart, I, I will call it. This is, this is the person who's just distracted by things that aren't going to live past today. Notice verse 7 here, what Jesus says concerning this third soil. He says in verse 7, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Now jump down to verse 22. Listen to Jesus' explanation. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So again, they would go through and they would plow the fields, getting the fields ready for uh, sowing. 
And uh, they would dig, they'd take those rocks out as they saw them. They'd, they'd get rid of those rocks. And they'd try to dig up any weeds, any thorns that were in the soil. But no matter how diligent they were, no matter how thorough they were in doing their job, occasionally the thorns would, um, they would just be down deep, deep enough so they couldn't get them out. They were, they were just down there in the soil. So this soil, the soil two and soil three look very similar. You look at it and it looks rich. It, it looks plowed. It looks good. It looks like it's ready to receive the seed. However, there's things going on down below the surface that the farmer is totally unaware of. And there's nothing he can do about it. And so that's what we have here. The word is sown in this person's heart, in this person's life right here, this third soil. Um, and um, again, uh, it, it seems like maybe even he might receive it uh, very well. The one who received the seed, um, you know, he hears the word. There's maybe some receptivity to it. However, very quickly what happens is two things start choking it out. Worries and wealth. Worries and wealth are the two things that begin to choke out the word and its uh, ability to lead forth to a harvest. Those are the two things that get in there. Those are the thorns. The thorns represent the thorns there and then the weeds that come up represent worries and wealth. Let's talk about those two things for just a minute here. First of all, worries. We have the parable of the great banquet. It's found in Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 16 through 20. This picture is very clearly what, what these worries are. Now listen to what Jesus says. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. That's the Lord. He's inviting us to come. Come, be saved. Put your faith in Jesus. That's, what, that's the picture here. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited. Those are the people of God sharing the word. Come, for everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. We've got three sets of excuses here. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Listen, I can't come, Jesus. I can't come. I can't put my faith in you. I can't walk with you because I got to attend to this property. I've got a great big house. I got a couple of nice cars in the driveway. I got a nice boat. Uh, I, I, you know, I got the, uh, the, the, the lake house. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a lake house or cars. I'm not saying that at all. But, but it is wrong when, when it takes the place of God. When we're so consumed with these things that we got no room for the word. We got no room for God. Our concern is these things and the accumulation of these things. That's the first guy right there. I, listen, I got a property. I would love to come, Jesus. I really would. But I got to attend to this property here. This really is more important is what he is saying. That's the first excuse. That's a lot of people today, right? They got all the toys. They got all the gadgets. They got the property. They got the house. They got it all. And it has choked out the word in their lives. Now, the second one. Another said... Um, um, I have just bought a yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Listen, I would love to come. I, I really would. This banquet sounds wonderful, but you know what? I got to work. I just got this, these oxen here and I got, I got a lot of work to do, Jesus. I got to go out. I got to plow the fields. Oh, I'm just thinking about it. You know, it makes me stressed out just thinking about it. 
I would love to be a Christian. I would love to follow God, but I can't go to church because I got to work. Work, 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 work. And work becomes a God to some people. Work becomes an idol to some people. And it chokes out the word in their lives and in the lives of their family. I do find it interesting, though, that the people who have no room or, or place for God in their lives, they think, if you ask them, that when they get to heaven, God will make room for them. How does that work? you got no room for God down here, but he's got room for you up there? That doesn't make sense to me. But a lot of people, they have no room for God because other things are more important. And then finally, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. What's his excuse? What's his problem? Family. Family obligations. Family. Hey, listen, i got family responsibilities here. I can't make it. Uh, you know, the kids, the kids are playing in all kinds of sports. we got activities. we got this going on. we got the family get-together. Uh, family, you know, family really is number one is what they're saying. Family is even more important than you, Jesus. Listen, Jesus should be number one. And if you want your family to be good, Jesus will be number one. He has to be number one. He should be on the throne of your life. That means every single area sacrifice to him, right? Every area of your life yielded to him. Not your way over here and your way over there. Jesus, you have these areas. I got these ones. Every area laid down. He wants it all. He deserves it all. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Everything laid down to him. Now, these people here, though, they had their excuses, right? And so what happened is that these things were too important. And I wonder, looking back on it, how they feel about it now. Listen, pull out the thorns in your life that are choking out the word. Pull them out. Get rid of the thorns that have uh, pushed out God's rightful place in your life. I guess I'm calling you to be a gardener today and get rid of the weeds that are choking out the productivity of the seed in your life worries, the worries of this life, the cares of this life that will never live past today. And then also wealth. Wealth is a big problem. Wealth will choke out the word and, and, and the thorns, they also represent wealth. That's why we're exhorted in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 and 10 by the Apostle Paul. And here's what he says about wealth. He doesn't say it's bad, by the way. There were some very wealthy people in the Bible Mo, um, not Moses, but I was going to say Abraham, very wealthy. Job, very wealthy. And there's others. But it's not money that is bad. Notice what it says here. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For he brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. By the way, do you realize that? The same thing you brought in is what you're bringing out. What'd you bring in? That's what you're bringing out. The only thing you'll have is what you send ahead what you do in Jesus' name, that he will reward you for. That's all you're going to have. Hopefully that'll, be a, hopefully that'll be enough. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. He's talking about contentment here, by the way, if you hadn't noticed. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, right? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is the money has no intrinsic value. It could be good, it could be bad. It's not money, it's the love of it. The desire for more. 
never being satisfied with what you have. You got to have what they have over there. You got to have what this guy has right here. And you're in this rat race. You know, you're just trying to get more and more. And you don't even know why. You're doing it because they have more and they have more, so I have to have more. And Paul says it's just going it, to plunge you into ruin. It, you can't maintain it. So his solution, don't allow money to get a root in there to where you begin loving it. Be content with what you have. Doesn't mean you can't get new things. Doesn't mean you can't have nice things. Just be content, though. Be content with what God has given you. Are you content today? Be content with what he has given you. Because listen, if you have him, you are rich beyond what you even realize. If you have Jesus, you are wealthy and you have an eternal wealth that we can't even begin to comprehend. But the distracted heart, this, this person, they, they, they just can't find time for God because they're distracted by this over here, that activity over here, family responsibilities over here, the pursuit of money over there, the job, uh, the house, the cars. They're caught up in all of this stuff, and Satan is just laughing because there's no room for God. The distracted heart. Finally, we have the heart for God. We've got the hardened heart. We have the rootless heart. We have the distracted heart. Finally, we have the heart for God. This is my favorite one. The heart for God. Notice what he says here in verses 8 and 9. He says, Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. He doesn't mean physical ears. That's not what he's talking about. If you have an ear, he's saying some people hear, but they don't really well, let me rephrase that. Some people listen, but they don't really hear. Right? You can be hearing what Jesus is saying, but it's not really registering in your heart. He's talking to people that are not only hearing the words, they're understanding what he is saying. Jump down here to verse 23, and he'll give you the explanation. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the good soil. It looks good, and it is good. There's no rocks hiding out underneath the dirt. There's no uh, weeds waiting to come up to choke out the harvest. The soil is rich. The soil looks good, and the soil is good. And there's some pretty good soil, by the way, around here. Have you noticed that? Uh, when my son went to uh, make his garden last year and he started tilling up the ground, I looked down, I said, that is some good soil right there. It was like a, a rich brown, you know, it just, it looked real healthy. That's the kind of soil that he is talking about here, the good soil and the, and the seed goes into that soil. And there, it doesn't sprout up right away. There's a period of time, right? It needs to be watered, it needs to be tended to, but eventually it brings forth a harvest. Some of them sprout up, as he says here, uh, 30 times what was sown. Some 60 and some 100. So there's differing levels of harvest here. So every true believer is going to bring forth some harvest. We're all going to have something that God is going to reward us for. We will bring forth fruit. If we are rooted down in that ground, but there are differing levels of harvest that people will bring forth. And I think about the Apostle Paul as I think about this passage right here, because the Apostle Paul began as the first soil, I would say. He was very hardened toward the things of God. 
He didn't want to hear the gospel. He didn't want to hear about Jesus. In fact, he did what? He persecuted the church. He was there when Stephen was martyred, the first, the first Christian to be martyred for his faith. He got permission from the religious leaders to go up to the city of Damascus to round up the Christians, to bring them back to Jerusalem, put them on trial, and have them put to death. He hated Christianity initially. His heart was very hardened, but God was working on his heart. Paul is a perfect example of how there is no heart too far gone. There's no heart that he cannot soften. And God got a hold of Paul, as we know, on the Damascus Road and totally turned him around. And he became an awesome man of God. And Paul says this about his life, about his turnaround. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, he says, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. He always had this sense that he was undeserving because he persecuted the church. But instead of allowing his past failures to hold him back, he actually did the exact opposite. He allowed his past life to help spring him forward. He used his past to motivate him to become everything that God wanted him to be. And what he did is he, instead of feeling bad and you know, self-defeated because of his past, he magnified the grace of God. The devil wants you to feel discouraged about your past. Do the exact opposite. Rejoice in God's grace demonstrated to you. Rejoice in his grace of what he has forgiven you of. Don't allow past sins to hold you back. That, that comes from the devil. Rejoice in his grace and take the grace he gives and run with it. What I'm saying is don't settle for 30-fold. Don't settle for 60-fold. Strive to bring forth a 100-fold in your life, in your walk with God. Strive to be everything Jesus wants you to be. Serve him with all of your heart. Give him your all. Where he tells you to go, go. What he tells you to do, do. If he is calling you to do something that seems like it is bigger than you, you know what, that just might be him. If he's calling you to do something that you know you can do, something very simple, maybe that isn't from him. He often calls us to things that are greater than ourselves, things that we can never do in and of ourselves. He might be calling you today. He might be calling you to step out of your comfort zone in a way you never thought you could. He might be calling you to yield yourself to full-time ministry. He might be calling you to do something simple, to go across the street and to reach out to that neighbor, to start building a bridge with some people around you. I don't know what he's calling you to do, but don't settle for anything less than God's best in your life. Whatever he's calling you to do, strive like the Apostle Paul to bring forth a hundredfold. I would say his life definitely brought forth a hundredfold. Would you agree with that? Strive to be everything God wants you to be. Don't ever settle for anything less than his very best. Be that soil that receives the word and brings forth a rich harvest. Let's go to God now as we close with a word of prayer. 
Maybe you're here today and there's some doubt in your mind about where you're at. Listen, you're represented here. We all are. My question is, which soil best represents your heart today? Which one of those four represents where you're at today? You know you're not that last soil. You're somewhere in one of those other three categories. Listen, you can change that by trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you can hear what he is saying, if you understand, then your soil is, is ready. Your heart is ready. Maybe you didn't even realize God was doing a work in your heart, but, but, but he is. If you've never trusted in Jesus, would you ask him to be your Savior today? Would you call on that name that is above every name? Would you believe in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to save you? Oh, he's so faithful. He's faithful to do what he has said he will do. And what he has said he will do is that when we confess our unrighteousness, he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of our sin. If you've never trusted in Jesus, would you trust in him today? For the Christian that's here today, where are you at today? Where's your heart at? Look inward for a minute. Ask God to show you what's going on in your heart. Have some of the worries or, or, or the wealth that he is talking about, is that beginning to choke out some of the fruitfulness there in your own life? Is fear getting in there? Have you allowed your own heart to get a little bit hardened in some way, shape, or form? Listen, God performs heart surgery. He can give you a new heart, and he can strengthen the one you already have if it's grown a little bit weak. Go to the Lord right now and ask him to work in the soil of your heart in such a way that you would not bring forth 30, that you would not bring forth 60-fold, but you'd bring forth a harvest 100-fold what was sown. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you are in the heart business. You're working in our hearts. Lord, help our hearts to be receptive to what you want to do in our lives. May we not harden our hearts unto you, for we're capable even of doing that. But help the soil of our hearts to be rich. Help it to be receptive to your word. And help us to strive with the grace that you have given to be all we can be for Jesus. Lord, bless your people now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to come forward now, we'd love to pray with you. If you need a word of prayer, you want to know more about what the Bible says about salvation, I'd love to show you from the Word of God. Maybe you've trusted in, in the Lord Jesus, but you've never been baptized. We'd like to encourage you in that. It's the first step of obedience in the Christian life. So you need to come forward if you've never been baptized, but you've trusted in Jesus. Or if there's anything else on your heart, you know, we would love to pray with you. That's what we're here to do. Pray for you and encourage you. So let's do as the Lord leads now.